says, get that India, big boy. Welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. It's Wednesday, which means it's time to recap a massive week one of NRL finals, as well as dive into all the NRL news and happenings going around the code. And to do that, it's time to get the crew into here. News team, assemble! First man onto the field is my good mate, 60s. How's it going, big fella? Mate, I'm pumped for a big week. I'm pumped for a big game. Uh, is there anything better than finals football? I know we didn't win the first week, but you know, I'm, I'm really positive about what's going to happen on Friday night. Yes, sir. And it wouldn't be an NRL news podcast without Spiro. So welcoming the third man in here, and he's no third wheel. He's uh, the actual the, the grease that makes the engine run here. Uh, Spiro, how are you doing this week, mate? Going well. Lovely to be back with you guys. And I just hope that this is not our last Tip Sheet News Edition podcast. I'm going to be positive and say that this will not be our last one for the season. But looking forward to Friday night, hopefully a sellout crowd at Combank Stadium. And, and fingers crossed, Parramatta get the win and, and hop through to the prelim final. Well, mate, don't get don't start us on the ticket <laughs> and the sellout aspect. Oh, don't get me started on that either. <laughs> Yeah, yes. we, we we actually we hadn't we hadn't planned to talk about it, but maybe that's a that's a, let's, a starting point. Yeah, that's a starting point. Let's talk about the, the yeah. Manic Monday because last time uh Paramedials hosted a home final, uh last two times actually, fans had the right uh, or ticketed fans had the right to buy back their seats heading into the game and you know, obviously a privilege of being a ticketed member for the whole season uh was that. But this year it was a no go, which meant it was just a full out dash for tickets on Monday and the systems could not cope. Uh, you got into queue, you got stuck in queue, you got to your processing point to get, to get thrown out before the timeline had, uh, over the, mm-hmm. the time expiry had gone out. So absolute madness on Monday. And I know for us 60s, we we're trying to buy in a block, trying to sit together. And uh, it took across the course of several hours and multiple release windows, uh, at least half a dozen attempts to eventually secure two different sets of tickets. Yeah, look, it wasn't fun. Um, I think the NRL and, and Ticketek and the individual clubs need to be sitting down together and, and working out a better process because I, I believe part of the problem might have been that there were multiple, multiple events released at the same time, which created the issue around the queues that were there. Um, I feel sorry for the people that were working Neil's uh, membership oh, yeah. uh, on Monday because I it's believe they were just getting hammered and abused and you know nobody nobody deserves that um there's been look there's there just has to be better ways of doing it uh as you said we we were it, it took a full uh five hours of being in queues for us just to secure uh five tickets and we couldn't even get five tickets to be able to sit together in uh, a thirty thousand seat stadium and I, I just think I, I can't understand how how that can be when we're in that first release for season ticket holders and um, yeah and and as you mentioned for us to get those five seats to be able to buy the five seats it was a matter of being on two devices 
at the same time and we couldn't get anywhere near close to each other, the five people. So mm. same bay, but one's a couple of us at the, at the top, the very last row, and a couple down closer to the front. And it just was, yeah, it wasn't good enough. Um, Spiro, you had your own problems as well. Yes, yeah, I'd, I'd love to weigh in on this one, guys, because Monday morning, 10 o'clock rolls around and was ready to purchase tickets, not for myself, but for family and friends who mm-hmm. wanted to go to the game, but all of them were either working or traveling uh, between states and weren't able to purchase the tickets during that window. So I jump on and it took me two and a half hours, managed to secure eight seats altogether in pretty much the same place where we usually sit um, you know, as members, which was good, but... The confusing thing for me, I've got to say, and, and you know, no, it's no fault of the club at all, but for some reason, we didn't receive the specific double AN number that was required to purchase the ticket. So every time I would get into the window, I spent all my time trying to guess what the password was. I think I sent you a message 60s at one point to see if you had maybe a special password for members that I could use to, to get the ticket. So we never actually received this specific code. So I had to ring the club. And, you know, I think the main issue here is the timeout part. You only have five minutes or yeah. something to, to in, pick in your seat. that's melting down. Yeah. Oh, that, that's the biggest issue, I think, because once you're in there, you've got a time limit and you've got to do all these things. You've got to, you know, enter the, the specific code to be able to get the tickets, find your, your spot, and then enter your credit card details and your login details. And that takes, I had to be pretty quick about it, but it's an absolute farce. I mean, Ticketek, who in their right mind would schedule AFL finals, NRL finals, and Luke Combs tickets all on the same time, right? <laughs> so 10 a.m. Monday morning, all those tickets went on release. Now, the Luke Combs tickets, they are for a concert for next year. He's a country singer from the U.S. He's coming out in August 2023. And in their right mind, they're releasing tickets for that on the same day that NRL and AFL final yeah, tickets are being released. It's ridiculous. Things. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's not good enough, and it's and if and I don't know how this works with ticketing agencies and whether there are um, agreements and contracts that are formed between the NRL and and uh, and Ticketek, but you know if if they can't supply the uh, platform that we need uh, that, that services the needs of the NRL, then. It's just not good enough, you know. Like we have to find alternative ways of doing it. So, do we know uh, what was that? Like what level the decision came down from that ticketed Parramatta Eels members can't buy their seats back this year? Was that an NRL no. mandate? Was it a Parramatta mandate? No, I, I don't think we've. I don't think we've got an answer to to that. Um, who, wherever the decision was made, it there has to be a learning process with this because you want. Uh, no matter which club it is, and we had the the issue that South members went through the week before. Oh, well, they got the, yeah the wrong password or no password yeah. issued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there has to be lessons learned from this final series because um, so far each each week has had something in the headlines that's taken away from the football itself. Right, well, given the the process across the NRL, it seems to have been an NRL mandate to open it up, and I don't say the masses in a derogatory term, but open up the finals for the masses. But I, I do think that if you're a ticketed member, a season ticket holder, that is a big part of the incentive to buy a ticket is your right or you know the privilege to buy back your seat for a final for a home finals, especially given that home finals are now restricted to one or two 
uh, well, only one route because you either win one and you go through to the preliminary or you lose one and you, you get the home final week two. Uh, uh, or you win one in the bottom of the eight and you go through to someone else's home final. So you, you're getting one home final a year in most cases unless you're you know an SFS-based or a core-based team like uh, the Roosters or the Rabbitohs. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy that you can't even buy back your seat for a single game. Yeah. Now, uh, Spiro, I want to ask you a question because uh, were you out there for the uh, the the Roosters and Rabbitohs clash in the in their finals match? I wasn't, unfortunately. I would have loved to be there, but my commitments with the Ben Ford and Breakfast Show clashed, which meant I couldn't actually be there live. But I watched it, and it was such a great game. I, I could feel the atmosphere through the TV. I had a few friends that were there. Few people I know that said it was absolutely electric. The roars were deafening, and atmosphere was amazing. So really, really positive. But I unfortunately wasn't there for that one. Yeah. Now the the reason that I asked was that um, we're sort of, and again, this was wasn't something that we necessarily planned on talking about today. But the the first round of finals and and the venues, uh, you had that. Um, around that forty thousand people that turned up for the uh, the Roosters and and Bunnies game there, we had people. Uh, in contrast, there were people for the uh, that would have missed out for the Cronulla game, where there was you know only the eleven thousand or so that that ground was able to hold, and of course up at Penrith Park or um, what's their what's their sponsor name of the um, uh, Blue Bet Stadium, Blue Bet Stadium, Blue Bet Stadium, that. Um, you know, people missed out on being uh, able to attend there. And Spiro, as you know, because um, well, I was only sitting about four or five rows in front of your broadcast box. Correct. Uh, week, so we're able to give you a wave when we when we got there. Um, right. That that those hill areas were basically filled up as soon as the grant the the gates were open. You Very know, much so. Yeah. yeah, we noticed that as well when we got there, and you could just see it was it was packed to the rafters. Yeah, and do you know? I, I still come back to what I what I've, I've said before that in the modern game you shouldn't have people in a in a, an elite event, especially like a final series, sitting and cramming into um, unreserved seat uh, unreserved areas like a hill. And um, given the rain that we'd had, look, I felt sorry for the people that were sitting on the hill there, and I know. You know whether they were local or not local, what have you? If you you're paying the money, you deserve a seat, don't you? In finals matches, it's- yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. And you know, turning a negative into a positive here. While I think of it, I just want to mention this and give the NRL and the Parramatta Eels a wrap, but particularly the NRL because tickets to this Friday's game were super, super affordable and really reasonable. We bought eight tickets. And I think it was $135. So it averaged out to be around $18 per ticket for a finals game. That's pretty good. I mean, For a seat and for a seat. For, correct, for a seat. Now, that is value, not $65 to stand on the hill at Shark Park oh, or Points Bet Stadium. And it's a seat at one so, of the I, premier grounds in the code. So, yeah, it's a, a great deal. It's awesome, you know. And I, and I think the NRL do deserve a bit of credit for that because they cop a lot of punches for – a range of things, and, and they deserve those punches. But credit's due, you know, with that particular uh, situation. The ticketing prices at Combank, premium stadium, Friday night, great game, 18 bucks. It's affordable. You know, no reason why that should not be a sellout on Friday night. And as yeah, much as... And I was just going to say, we um, we paid 
seventy dollars to sit where we were sitting last week, as it was uh, classified as diamond level at uh, at at Penrith Park. And um, look, I'm not going to complain about the viewing that I had there. And in fact, the the seats are generously spaced when it comes to uh, comparison to modern stadiums. You know, it was and for for you know, if you've got a couple of big blokes like myself sitting near each other, um, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of room in the in the seat that you're sitting in. So that you know, that was good. Look, um, Shelley wrote a post about um, her experience at the game last week. It wasn't pleasant. Um, you know, myself from myself, Spiro. I messaged you mm. um, during and after the game about what was happening uh, for me in uh, where I was. So, mm. you know, my my experience, I was conveying to people live, you know, like what I'm putting up with was just – and I, I did the same with you, John. I, I, mm-hmm. I think I said to you, you know, boy, I'm in for it here. Um, you know, as soon as that the um, the 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 bloke next to me was um, rather than – you know, and he didn't stand for the minute silence. And, you know, that's an individual choice. But to sit there with your arms extended and your fingers up, I thought, uh, during the minute silence um, – I thought okay. tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, <laughs> this is a pre- this is the precursor to what's yeah, about to prelude. come. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't a and it wasn't a pleasant night. And um, you know, look, that's un that's unfortunate. Every every club has supporters that you would call the ugly supporters, and we've spoken at length, and Shelley's written on it, and I've spoken at length about the uh, the poor behaviour of Parramatta supporters around uh, targeting um, uh, Jake Arthur and Reed Marnie the sorts of things they've had to put up with this year. So we're not adverse to calling out um, our own supporters for doing the wrong thing and for not behaving appropriately. You shouldn't go to the football games and have to put up with um, some of the stuff that people do have to put up with um, at football games. I hope that um, what was written last week wasn't taken as an attack on um, the people of Penrith, but rather the systems that happen at Penrith because um, there was a lot of alcohol consumed. The bloke next to me, uh, he, he must have consumed about 18 beers. Um, and, and, and was uh, preloaded, wasn't he? Uh, well, that was that was my take. Um, and, uh, yeah, Shelley was certainly talking about the amount of alcohol that was being consumed around her. So... Mm. I, I just hope that, you know, the powers that be at Penrith take that on board because um, I'm sure that the majority of their supporters don't want to be um, associated with people who behave in in that way and fueled up by alcohol. So um, it, it makes it better for everyone if every club, and, and as I said, no club is immune to it, but if every club, you know, looks at what's happening out there in their in their supporter ranks, uh, out in the out on the stands, out on the hills, whatever the case may be, just to ensure that everyone's experience at the football is a positive one. And I hope that in the future that the NRL has the flexibility that if you've got, uh, and I recognise that under the system you have you're rewarding the the top achieving teams in each bracket to get a home final, but there has to be some flexibility. If you've got a match that you know is likely to draw 60,000, don't cram them in at a stadium where there's hills that are, you know, that at least half the crowd is going to be accommodated on hills. We're past that, aren't we? In this, 
in this day and age. I know it's something that we can now just hopefully just put behind us, but I think it's it's something where you know maybe the NRL has that flexibility to to go to some bigger grounds in in future for or more modern grounds as well for um, you know for future finals games. So um, yeah. Um, that's that's, a, that's, that's a, lot, a lot of talk about stadiums, a lot of talk about fans. Let's start talking football, boys, because hard-pressed to think of a more impressive opening week to the postseason, to the NRL finals, at least in the modern days. Uh, we had four absolute barn burner games, and when the, the bar is set at the low point with the Parramatta-Penrith game, where it was 60 minutes of absolute slobber-knocker football until Mitchell Moses gets concussed, and then after that we have an absolute gunslinger shootout in the Shire, followed by uh, a stark, a real stirring win by the Raiders down in Melbourne as they continue their dominance over the storm uh, at, in the Melbourne's home ground, followed by the, oh, I don't even know what to call the one on Sunday, but an absolute bloodbath. It was, you know, a, a polarising game in terms of the discussion, but it's hard to uh, knock it as a con- as a some sort of a contest, I suppose. But four absolutely insane games, all for differing reasons. Let's go to the Shire to start our discussion, boys, where we had mm. 2v3, the Sharks obviously hosting the Cowboys, two of the hot uh, or hottest young coaches, maybe in terms of looks for some people, I suppose, but in terms of on-field results is what we're trying to hint at here in Fitzgibbon and Todd Payton. And this one, well, we got the new finals rules in place in the first week. Golden Point comes in after extra time. And, yeah, we, we got to go through to Golden Point where uh, Valentine Holmes' two-point field goal was the difference. But this is a game that was fascinating for a lot of point, a lot of reasons, wasn't it? Defense, obviously optional, some incredible tries, both team and individual level. And then the other thing was uh, the interesting use of the bench from the Cowboys. I really enjoyed this clash. I was working with the continuous call team for this one and, and a thrilling finish. What I enjoyed seeing the most and what I was most impressed by was the fact that the intensity and the speed of the game from the first minute to the 80th minute and past that was at the same level the whole time. The players did not take their foot off the pedal. That is the sort of football we want to see. High intensity and a really tight contest makes for a mouth-watering clash and a really tight one in the end. And I really like that we have extra time. It doesn't go to golden point because it gives teams a a fair chance to, um, you know, clean slate, you know, take take another 10 minutes, see if you can score from there. Obviously, both teams didn't, and then we went to Golden Point. And I think that's the smartest way forward in finals games. It's the fairest way forward. And as you mentioned, very, very interesting use of the bench. Uh, the Cowboys really only used 15 players. Uh, yeah, a few top. of their players only got a couple minutes there. And we are quite critical sometimes of the way Parramatta rotate their bench, only using 15 men. But, gee, the Cowboys, they did a good job. They managed to still win that game. three minutes? Really... Yeah. 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 So, yeah, Todd Payton with the Arturian use of the bench there. And like you said, Spiro, it, I mean, and for good reason to it, it. It's not like you can't be critical of Arthur's use of the bench in games this year. Uh, there's definitely been times where he could have, you know, gone on a different strategy, you know, mm. perhaps beneficial for the Eels. But it is interesting. It comes back to that theory, I suppose, that in these big-time games, it's almost like the NBA. You sort of – you almost tighten up your use of the bench and you go to your, you know, core players more and more. It seems I've I've sort of I've noticed that a few teams are, are taking that path. Like, for example, South as well only used Cody Nicarima for about four or five minutes in their game. It's 
um, in a game where they had four players simbinned. Milne, yeah. Milne twice. One, uh, one player was at the Tolo in that double simbin. And then uh, who was the fourth? Someone obvious probably, probably. But yeah, they had a ton of uh, guys sat down for long stretches. So yeah, and they didn't use their full bench aggressively. Yeah, it, it's so I, I, I have to echo Spiro's sentiments there because you talked about the pace of the game in the Sharks and Cowboys game and it was unrelenting. It, the obviously the fitness of the players. You, you're talking about players that are that they're not just going that uh, 80 minutes. They're they in that game they were going for all those extended minutes. The pace didn't let up. It was just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, contest over that extended period of time. While we're talking about the Cowboys guys, I got a really fascinating insight this week from Peter Parr the uh, former football manager and board director at the Cowboys. We were chatting about the success of the club and unfortunately he's not there to reap the benefits and reap the rewards at the back end of the year. But he has had a huge role to play in the construction of this team. But he said to me there were three players that Todd Payton insisted and demanded he have when he went up to Townsville. Tom Dearden, Chad Townsend and Peter Hiku. Three players that Todd Payton wanted and knew would be important parts of the puzzle and boy, have all three of them lived up to the hype this year, and especially on Saturday night. Peter Hiku is arguably having his best season ever, and he's in his, the back end of his career now, but he is in fine form. Chad Townsend, the leadership, and Tommy Dearden as well. Great running game and some really strategic moves from him in that matchup against Cronulla. So very, very interesting that Todd Payton wanted those three guys there. And if you know how much money Peter Hiku is on this year, I would go out on one limb and say that he is actually the best value buy of the year. When you know how much he's on, I won't reveal that figure because it's, it's confidential. But when you know how much he's on, you would be absolutely mind blown to think about it because he's a, he's been a, a great buy for the Cowboys this year. Added a lot to their side, and it's an they're getting a bargain, an absolute bargain. Mate, this is this is one of the reasons that um, I am so thrilled that you're on our podcast this year because that insight just then when you think about it I doubt that those three players would have been on the radar of anyone else mm. but let's be honest because uh, Chad Townsend raised a lot of eyebrows when the Cowboys recruited him Tom Dearden had been a touted younger player, but had really gone off the radar up at the Broncos. He just wasn't uh, showing out in any in any significant way. And Peter Hick, he just was a player that had been around the block, basically, wasn't it? Like, again, if you were thinking about centres that any club would chase, he would not have featured anywhere near the top of the list, I don't think, for any club. And as you say, what they've been able to produce for the Cowboys this year has been so significant that you just have to tip your hat to Todd Payton and say, oh, that's an amazing job of uh, player identification. And it is. You, you know, and, and just quickly, John, when you speak to, to Peter Parr, you know, he went through the list of the players and he said, you know, these are the guys that I brought to the club. These are the guys that I wanted there. And he, but he said there were three that Todd particularly wanted, and all those three that we mentioned. So this is a, a masterstroke from him, and, and it's paying dividends. Yeah, I mean, 
it's such a fascinating game because in finals football, you usually you know go with the adage that defense wins the games, and that can hold true throughout the course of a series. But in this game, it was scintillating attack from both teams. Cowboys, I mean, that's been their their bread and butter all year, hasn't it? They've obviously had a very good defense throughout the regular season, but in attack, they've maximized so many of their opportunities. And we saw that, you know, Valentine Holmes being lethal, their forward pack coming together, Jason Tamalolo scoring a critical try. Uh, so, you know, so many different threads of their team woven together to be lethal when it came to that game. But coming out of this game, you would have said whoever they were playing would have a huge advantage given that they were locked in a 90-minute-plus, you know, absolute shootout. But that, I'm not, I don't know if that's the case given that the other game that, you know, play, took place after that, on Sunday, we saw one of the most physical and, and brutal games in the South City Rabbitohs and Roosters that we've seen in years. So it might be a case that both teams are going to come into that next game beaten up. 100%. You would have thought after Saturday night, boy, uh, you know, whoever wins Roosters, Rabbitohs, they're going to have a, an easy goal next walk, week yeah. because they're going to be playing a team that's that had to stay on that field for 93 minutes, one of the longest NRL games uh, that I can actually remember taking place. But as you mentioned, what a game on Sunday afternoon. A lot of people have come out after this match and said, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy what I saw. A lot of sim binnings was very clunky, very stop-start, very long game. But for me as a fan, sitting on the couch on a Sunday afternoon watching a finals match, not involving my team, I was so enthralled, engaged, and entertained by that match. And I thought that it was absolutely brilliant. And I felt that the sim binnings actually added to the drama of it because at the end of the day, right, as Peter Volandi says, we are in the entertainment business. The NRL is in the entertainment business. They have to make fans happy. they got to have a product which is likable and that's engaging. And I'll tell you guys that that match for me was super entertaining. It was high intensity. It was physical. There was so much feeling in it. You could just see it on the field. You could see that the players had that gripe against each other. That rivalry was there. And I really enjoyed it. And I thought that, you know, it was a great, great showing by both teams. I was actually surprised that the Rabbitohs win. I tipped the Roosters to win. But when Tedesco went down, he knew that it was going to be a, a bit of an uphill battle for the Roosters, a bit like how we lost Mitch Moses on Friday night. Once Mitch was off that field, you knew that it was going to be very hard for Parramatta to win the game back from there. But, you know, credit to both teams. Great contest. They both deserve to be playing, you know, further into the finals. But unfortunately, only one winner and one team goes through, and that's the Rabbitohs. But... That was a, an absolute belter of a match, and I really enjoyed it. Now, a question for you, Spiro. Mm. We've seen that there were a lot of headshots that happened in that game, and uh, it was Burgess, wasn't it, that put the shot on Tedesco? Uh, yes. Tedesco. Yes. How, how much do you think James Tedesco contributes to a high shot on himself with the the his the way he approaches contact, because when you watch him, he mm. will crouch down quite low as he gets in towards the tackle. And I'm not saying that the that the, the defender should be let off um, in a tackle like that because it was a, a, a pretty vicious high shot. But the tackling technique these days is so upright mm. that when you get a player that comes in low like Tedesco does the only way that you are going to be able to tackle him underneath his his head and neck is literally to be going in for a legs tackle because you're not going to be able to make contact with his body. He's stooped forward. He's leaning forward in there. So your target area is 
is basically a player who's who's leaning like I mean if if they could levitate it'd almost be like they're levitating towards you head first and, and that's almost like the target that's presenting itself to the body of a player and in in a lot of instances you've got players their arms are down by their side swinging into the tackle that's how these te- tackling techniques are happening um it's it's fraught with danger this upright tackling technique and yet it's it, it's it's literally the technique that's there for every single rugby league player these days so i uh, agree i agree with you 60s because his style and i've always thought that about james tedesco that because he he comes so low and he, he ducks and weaves and he crouches so low to the ground and makes it very very difficult for the person tackling him not to make it a high shot so i agree with you wholeheartedly and I feel that he contributes to it a lot. While we're speaking about James Tedesco quickly, and it was a bad hit. I spoke to him on Monday night, and he did admit and acknowledge that he still felt a little bit dusty, and it was a a tough hit. He went back into the sheds afterwards, and he sort of could remember parts of it, but it was a a bad hit for him and a terrible collision, and he had to, to remain off the field. Speaking of James Tedesco, there was an article doing the rounds last week about Joseph Suali'i, and or Joseph Swali'i, that's the way that they want uh, that he wants us to pronounce his name. And James Tedesco is saying that the club were looking at potentially, you know, leaving Tedesco out of their plans for the future, or, or getting rid of Tedesco to allow Joseph Swali'i to play at fullback, his preferred position. Now, Sunday I think proved the point that James Tedesco is one of the best rugby league players, if not the best rugby league player in the world. And his contribution, not just in attack, but in defense for the Roosters, is so crucial, priceless. And they need him there. Without him, they're lost. And and not not to be a knock on Swali'i, who I love to watch as a young prospect. He's been incredible this year. But he's not even the second best fullback at his club. There's some some boy called Joey Manu, yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's funny that these stories come out, right, and and everyone thinks they're an expert, and I'm not having a knock at the journal. I'm just making an observation. I don't even even know who wrote the story, but everyone thinks they're an expert, but it's interesting when push comes to shove and you actually see it in motion that it can be so far from the truth or so far from reality because without Tedesco, they are a shadow of their former selves. And as you said, there are so many other good fullbacks coming through the ranks Swali, I think, is a great winger, and he's got a, a really good leap. He you know, jumps high, and he's got a great vertical, and he scored some brilliant tries through that this year. So I think he's best served on the wing, to be honest with you, and Tedesco at fullback. I think it's, I think it's a case of you know, his, his agents are going to be really pushing for fullback money. Yes. And to get fullback money, the club is, is after a fullback contribution. And that's, I guess, the where where maybe negotiations are at, or where the the club planning is around. But yeah, I I agree entirely with you that you probably in an ordinary match uh, through the season against the majority of teams, you would have had uh, Suali'i performing at a level where you go where you say, oh yeah, he's the future of the club at fullback. He, he's maybe he's ready to take over right now because. He probably would have been the standout performer on the field against most other teams. But this is finals football, and he's playing against a fired-up South Sydney team, and he's not able to do what someone like James Tedesco is able to do right now. 
that's where it really shows up that level of experience and that that um, the what can be produced right now. And there is a there is a big difference between that now. Again, that's not a knock on on him as a player or his potential to be that level fullback in the future. Uh, but it is interesting that those sort of stories come out that that the Roosters would even consider that because I doubt that there's too much accuracy in that. I, I reckon if you were talking to Nick Politis, <laughs> he probably he probably wouldn't be talking about getting rid of James Tedesco. No, no, that that is the heart and soul of their team. And as we saw on the weekend when he went off, and it wasn't the only factor. I want to talk about that just after, but when he went off, much like with Mitchell Moses departing the field with the Parramatta Reels, it was just a huge change in the momentum of the game. But yeah, what a what a weird game this was too, because the Roosters had the ascendancy in this contest. They were dominating the ruck. And then we had the double sin bin. Uh, I believe it was Tane Milne and Burgess going back to back sin bins there. Uh, this was in, in the wake of Teddy also getting con- the concussion too. So it was conflating factors here. But uh, it wasn't just, you know, the fact that they lost to Desco for the, the finishing touches, but through the middle, it just they lost their way. And this was a game in which I believe five of the combined eight tries between the two teams were scored with a player disadvantage. Like that, that has to be an NRL record. With, like that is such a, a bizarre stat to come out of this. But between the Roosters and the Rabbitohs, they had five tries where the team that had a player disadvantage, or if it was one or two players, in in the Rabbitohs' case, they scored two tries when they had those players in the bin, I think, or at least yep. one try. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely crazy stuff. What what an insane game! Outside of all the violence and all the grubbery and all that sort of stuff, you know, not enough has been spoken about. But uh, this has been a, a trend of this year: is how good teams have become playing with a man or two disadvantage. 100%. And I want to speak about this as well later on when we chat about the Parramatta game and, and that 10-minute period where Taylor May was sent for the field. So I'll save that for later on. But absolutely insane. It seems that teams, they grow another leg and they lift to another level when a player is off the field. And it isn't as much as a much of a disadvantage anymore. It actually helps motivate them, put more fire in the belly and, and a little bit more desire to, to play really hard football for 10 minutes. And off the back of that, points do come quite frequently and quite easily. So it was really interesting to see. I, I was quite surprised. Um, but as you mentioned, it just shows that the quality of our game and the quality of our players has got to such a level where even with 11 men on the field at one point or 12 men on the field, teams can still produce and can still you know create opportunities. I just wonder as well whether that's a mark of the preparations that teams put into um, contingency plans for when they are down mm. a, a player or two and that that maybe it causes, the incident causes the team to refocus, to think about what their their planning is around those sorts of contingencies and the roles that each of them have when that happens and that uh, maybe that that's the fillip towards um, – you know, a lift in performance and and a focus on the job at hand. Uh, Because as you said, it's happened multiple times this year for teams and um, that was probably the most extreme example of it. And of course, we're not used to the likes of the Sydney Roosters bombing out in week one of the finals. Uh, You know, we've talked about the change in the Garden NRL for a number of years now and the likes of the Roosters and the Storm have just sort of spat in the face of time and age when it comes to roster turnover 
But that segues pretty nicely into the final result of the week. Well, not really the final result chronologically, but the final result of our breakdown outside the Parramatta game in that the NRL's landlocked Vikings went down to Melbourne and kicked the Melbourne Storm out of the finals, which means it's now the first time since, I think, 2012 that neither the Storm nor the Roosters are in week two of the finals, which is absolutely crazy. And it's, it, maybe it does point to a changing of the guard now. Obviously, Penrith have established themselves as a premier team in the competition, but we've got a couple of our plucky uh, underdogs, I suppose, that finished hot this year in the Cowboys and the Sharks. And now we've got no Storm and no Roosters, so maybe the winds of change are blowing in the NRL. Boys, this was a, a another fascinating game. Canberra, I mean, you, you ask why they match up so well against Melbourne Storm, and I dare say that, as weird as it sounds, but there is a fair bit of Parramatta about the Canberra Raiders. <laughs> there is, there is, right? And um, and we'll delve into the rivalry and the, the, the comparison between the two sides a bit later on, but when you go back to the start of that match and you look at the first 10 minutes, Canberra had no ball. They had no ball at all. Melbourne, all the possession, all the field possession, they had it all. You know, It was all all in their favour. They couldn't score any points. As soon as the Raiders got their hands on the ball, they scored a try. And that momentum and the roll-on from there, I don't think you know Canberra were going to be stopped. I thought that they had the momentum and they showed early in the game that they had what it takes. They had the hunger, they had the will, they had the desire to beat that Melbourne team. And it was just remarkable. A really good performance. It was to and fro, to and fro. I think they led at half time. I had an inkling. I thought, gee, Melbourne, they may come out strong in the second half and put in a, a good performance here. But I think that the fatigue of the previous two weeks really set in. Jerome Hughes, did he go off the field at one point? I think he did, or he was niggly at one point. Um, that, that hurt the storm. But the fatigue of the last two performances, I thought they played their grand final against the Roosters two weeks pre- prior, and they lost. So it was interesting, and it's it's bizarre not having Melbourne or the Roosters past week two of the finals, but I really like it because it's good to see a bit of a changing of the guard, different teams up there, seeing you know guys like the Cowboys coming good and the Sharks coming. It's all it's all very positive and, and, and great to see. So brilliant game. It was a, a great Great finish there, and good to see, I guess, the Raiders um, progress through two week two of the finals despite finishing eighth. You know, it's rare that a, a team finishing eighth really goes any further than week one, so they've done it, and, gee, we're going to face them this week. Um, just a, a quick question then. You've, in looking at the failed performances, and, and, I mean, it might be rough calling it that, but the failed performances of the Storm and the Roosters, do you think... Both or either of those teams are really on the slide now. I mean, Forty touched on it. Is is it the changing of the guard? Because if if, if I just give my take on it very quickly, uh, I think the Storm might be the ones that are prone to the to the big slide. We always feel that the Roosters have got a a big name signing that they'll turn well, to. They to, literally have Brandon Smith join them, don't they? So that, yeah, yeah, that's going to yeah, help so, them. But the the Storm's forward pack is getting gutted. That's mm. That's the point that I was making is that uh, there's been a lot of focus on uh, Parramatta losing players this year and have we have we actually replaced them. I believe that the Storm are losing greater, um, uh, you know, strength in, in players uh, for next year and with a, a, a mystery cloud surrounding what Cameron uh, Munster's future is that I think there's a real risk that they – are on a slide 
and, well, and some some nuffy called Cameron Siff came out and said that he thinks that 2023 will be Munster's last year at the club as well. So I don't know if you know Smith knows anything about the Melbourne Storm, but uh, that's pretty telling as well. I think. Well, I think once you you know you've got players there that are tight like Brandon Smith and Cameron Munster. Um, Smith's moved on, and uh, you know maybe there's there isn't a tightness that Cameron. Mm. Munster has with other players. I don't know. We're guessing on this, but we know that the coin is going to come his way in a big way. We know that a club like the Dolphins uh, offer him that opportunity to um, to head back to Queensland. Are the stars aligning that he goes back there? Because if he if he heads back there, the, look, the storm aren't the, the storm aren't really renowned for making big name purchases, are they? I mean, they've developed a lot of those players themselves. They come through their system in some way, or they've just ident- had great talent identification. And and sure, there's been question marks about them being able to retain players in the wake of salary cap in the past, and they've had troubles and been caught out for it. But the one thing that you have to say is they don't often go out in the marketplace to grab the elite player. They turn players into the elite players. So um, have they got someone in their system that's ready to come through and be that next elite player? There is a, a Hosworth. What's his name? Jack... Uh, there's a young player I know that they they rate very uh, high. A back rower is he? A yeah, back rower up at the he, he yeah, yeah, Melbourne. Uh, he's signed up to the end of 2027. He hasn't debuted or uh, hasn't played much. I think so. They've got at least one or two. Uh, Jack Howarth. Jack Howarth was the player I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Signed yep. to yep. the end of 2027. But yeah, it's a big question facing them, and especially with Bellamy looking at succession planning as a coach. Yes. Look, my my take on it, guys, just quickly, is that. Yes, I agree. They they lose a lot a lot of players, a lot of quality, a lot of leadership there, especially in the forwards next year. But when you look at the depth, right, you know that Melbourne have always got great depth. Their um, reserve grade team, the Sunshine Coast Falcons, are through to the prelim of the Queensland Cup, and they they won in unbelievable fashion over the weekend. They were down twenty four nil, I believe, or twenty nil or something, and came back to win that game. And is when that, you consider is that, the that you look at that game where he dropped the that, he missed the kickoff. Jermaine Asaka, yeah, that one, yeah. yeah but when you when you think about it, that, they've got a, a quality um, reserve grade team. They've got depth there, people that will come through. And Bellamy's there next year as well. And I think, given that it's his last year head coaching, a lot of players are going to dig deep and, and do all they can to send him off in style with a premiership. So I, I'm not going to ride the storm off just yet. But I think that. You know, in the next couple of years, you would probably think that they will start to gradually, you know, fall. But they're just such a quality team, a quality club, a quality setup. And even if Bellamy isn't head coach, he will still be involved at the club in some capacity. And I just, I can't see them not being competitive. They, they haven't, they've been competitive for the last 10, 15 years. And I think they'll continue to do that. Maybe they might not be, you know, top four team or whatever, but they'll still be in and around that top eight and still really challenge for the title in the next couple of years, I think. And the Roosters, they've got Brandon Smith going there next year. They don't lose too many players. Siwa Takiyaho, he's moving on, I know that. But they're still going to be great next year, and I think the Roosters will probably have an improved season, if anything, because this year they just, I don't know, they, they struggle to find consistency in their game. Injuries hurt them once again. 
And I don't think Luke Keary had his best season. So I think both those teams are still going to do okay next year, to be honest. And going back to the Canberra Raiders, it feels like invariably when it comes to the NRL finals and most of the recent seasons, there's at least one or two red-hot teams coming in from the bottom of the eight and making a big run. Uh, Roosters had a ton of wins coming into this game, but they obviously ran out of gas against Rabbitohs. But the Raiders likewise came into the finals red-hot after leapfrogging the Brisbane Broncos to get that last spot in the top eight. A lot of that comes on the back of a player that's gone from having his wife beefing with the head coach to being arguably the best forward in the competition this year in Joey Tapane, and he was just on fire in this game. Some of the offloads he was slipping, some of the carries he was making, really sort of picking up the team and, and telling them to come with him in that contest. And guys like uh, Josh Papali'i, who you know were, I wouldn't say over the hill or anything like that, but he was struggling for some form uh, heading into the midway point of the season, but he's really picked it up and gone with Tapane creating that fearsome one-two battery through the middle. Really good forward pack that are going to compete with Parramatta on Friday mm-hmm. night. I think it's going to be a tight game. A lot of people think maybe Parramatta will be you know, way too strong. I think it's going to be close because there is a lot of Parramatta in that Canberra outfit. They've got a good forward pack, guys leading the front from the front. They've got a you know, really solid back line. Jack Whiten playing great at the moment, You know, similar to Dylan Brown, who's had you know a good year apart from last week. So... Yeah, Tarpane, no surprise there. He won the Mal Meninga medal for the most valuable player at the Raiders this year. And he has had arguably his best year on record. Probably one of the best forwards in the game this year, best front row. I think he'll win proper of the year. And it all started, funnily enough, in the All-Stars game at the start of the year. I'm I'm not sure if you guys remember that where the uh, the Maori side beat the Indigenous All-Stars, and he played a fantastic game there, and, and he's followed that form up really nicely for the Raiders throughout the year and combined well with his other forward teammates as well. And free to negotiate with other clubs from November, he could be a, a very, very handsomely paid man moving forwards, whether it's at the Raiders or elsewhere. But uh, that brings us to the final game, the round of breakdown, boys, the one that's closest to our hearts a game where the scoring probably doesn't reflect how much of a contest this was for about 60 minutes, but the Penrith Panthers running out 27-8 to victors over the Parramatta Eels, booking their spot in the grand final qualifier, consigning the Eels to sudden death football this week. A big narrative about this game, obviously, Mitchell Moses and his concussion against Viliami Kikau in, I think it was somewhere in the 50, 50-something minutes there. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that shortly, but a reminder of how good Penrith are, how much they, they take you for the full 80 minutes. Nathan Cleary came back, clearly not just fired up, but had done a lot of film work. I found a couple of ways to exploit the Eels with the Dylan Edwards try, as well as, uh, well, it was interesting because he went to Mike Acevo first and Acevo was resolute under the high ball, turned his attention to Wanga Blake and clearly found a chink in the armour. Where do you want to start with this one, boys? Because it was a game where Eels 8-7 until the 51st minute in this one had every, had, like they were right in the thick of it. And then we had a, a string of errors. It wasn't just one Blake. A whole there was I think there was about three or four players with multiple errors credited to their name. Uh, they, they, yeah, just they gift the of too much possession, too much territory, and maybe against some other teams they could defend that, but not against the reigning premiers who are looking to go back to back. Well, look, I'll just jump in there because Nathan Cleary, you you mentioned him. Uh, I don't think. I don't know that the television broadcast does enough justice to what he can bring to a game. He digs so deep into the line and and so um, powerfully 
into the line that the defences really aren't certain what he's going to do. Is he going to take the line on himself and 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 try to run through because he is a very strong runner and he's and he's he's quite he's quite powerful, uh, or is he going to get that pass out there because when he he was digging so deep and then the balls were coming the the football was being passed out like a bullet after digging in so deep it was really asking questions of the Eels' defence every time that ball was in his hands. So he was exceptional. Um, I, I, I think I feel sorry for for Wonga because it was one of the it was one of the shockers of finals football, and I don't think you have to be um, too up with um, uh, your football knowledge to work out that Parramatta's you know, been doing a bit of work with Wonga with his um, uh, with some catching practice. Yeah, the thing with Wonga is they can do as much practice as they want. I just think there is enough evidence there to showcase that if he just makes that first drop, he gets inside his own head. Yeah, that that's yeah. a you know sports yeah. psychology thing. Um, he could go out there and catch twelve from twelve. I I'd absolutely believe it. Wonga is that kind of athlete who can absolutely do it. But the moment he drops the first one, he just gets inside his own head and starts berating himself that he's got to get the next one. If he doesn't get the next one, it just spirals. Yeah, so I think there was um, – and I know Spiro feels strongly about this as well because he hinted at it earlier uh, in talking about not taking advantage of opportunities when they're there. Parramatta was certainly guilty of that, mm-hmm. guilty of too many uh, errors at crucial times. Um, but Spiro, yeah, you, you've hinted at before about mm-hmm. uh, not taking advantage of um, – an, an obvious um, opportunity when the Panthers were down to 12 players. That's right. Just quickly on Wanga Blake as well. I spoke to Mark Piggy Riddell, former Parramatta, Dragons hooker, former Roosters hooker, played overseas, who works on the continuous call team. And I had a chat to Piggy after the game and I said, disappointing result because he's obviously got a very soft spot for Parramatta. And, Poor Wanga Blake, a very tough night for him. And he said, look, to be honest, right? And he's like, I don't defend players that easily. But on the sideline, from the view that he got, watching those Nathan Cleary bombs go up, he said, they were quite possibly some of the best bombs I have ever seen put up on a rugby league field, on a football field. And that was really hard. doesn't matter who was under them. It was going to be difficult to take those kicks you know, time and time and time again. So you've got to cut Wunger a bit of slack here. He had an off night. He's had a great year, and I think he'll rebound and bounce back really strong on Friday night. But just a little insight there into professional. Can I just just ask you something as well here, Spiro, because um, you were at the game as well. And, yeah, and we – from from where we – both of us were higher up in the stands, we couldn't see what the ball was doing up there in the air. But there is something I'd like to put to you, which is – uh, that first kick, for example, I thought that that kick, that first kick was as much Clint Gutherson's to take as it was to Wonga Blake's. It was a, a midfieldish type bomb. It was a fair way infield. Wonga obviously called for it, but Gutherson was pretty close to that ball. And when that ball went down, he was right there on the spot. So I think maybe as well during the match that Gutho might have been as culpable as Wonga was, uh, maybe he could have provided a little bit more support. Maybe he could have called for a couple of those high kicks as well. I, I don't know how you saw that, um, Spiro. Man, it was tough. And and you're right. I mean, a few times there, I think 
Gutho probably should have just stepped up and taken a few of those kicks, and he was close enough to actually take them, but Paul Wang was left to pick up the pieces. So I agree with you completely, and they were amazing bombs. I've watched a bit of vision this week on Fox of um, those kicks and just, like, zoomed in, you know, looking at the movement of the ball. Just unbelievable. Very, very skillful stuff from Nathan Cleary, and doesn't matter who was under it, it was going to be difficult. So Paul Wang and Blake had a tough night. Gutho should have stepped up a couple of points, uh, a couple of times there as well to help him out. Now, on that uh, point you mentioned earlier, 60s, about where Parramatta should have capitalised, I like to pinpoint moments in games where I feel teams lost it. And for me, it was actually back uh, early in the first half when Taylor May was sent for, from the field for 10 minutes. Parramatta were given an opportunity, 13 on 12, we had the advantage. And at that point in the game, it was very even, Probably say that Penrith had a slight advantage over us, but when they had a player taken off the field, I thought, here we go. This is our chance to score a couple tries, get on the front foot, and really go on with it from there. Because my feeling heading into the game was that Parramatta needed to start really well, put points on the board early, and roll on from there. I spoke to Mark Piggy Riddell before the game as well, and his takes were very similar to mine and said, we must start fast. Because when you're against quality teams in the NRL, when you're against teams like the Panthers, it's not easy chasing points. And I feel that Parramatta just generally as a team struggle to play well when we're chasing points and behind on the scoreboard. When we're in front, we tend to play really well and, and really loosen up a little bit. But when we're chasing points, it's not easy. And during that 10-minute period, we saw Brian Thotwell score a try. Parramatta failed to score any points at all, which made it really difficult for us. And it was sort of from that moment, I thought, it's going to be difficult for Parramatta to get back in this game. When Oregon Kafusi scored that try, I thought, gee, we're, we're, we're back in this arm wrestle. But once Mitch Moses left the field, that was that was it for me, unfortunately. When your main playmaker and yeah. the guy that you're relying on to create those opportunities both from the field, very similar to how James Sedesco did for the Roosters, it's an uphill battle and very difficult for the team when all your structures and your training is really around your halfback and that combination. So it was disappointing. At the end of the day, that crucial 10-minute period where Parramatta had the chance to really put the foot on the accelerator, score some points and get ahead. We didn't really capitalize on that. We paid the price in the end. So we are now facing that sudden death prospect this week against the Canberra Raiders on Friday night. Yeah, and I think there's two things, uh, two factors at play here. First of all, uh, last Friday night, we were we were beaten by a team that played better than what we did. So we we lost on no external factors at, at all there. This week, coming into the game against Canberra, we are in the best possible shape that we have been in a finals match in the last few years. There is, we're, we're as close to full strength as we possibly can be. We're playing the game on our home turf. So coming into the match, I think we're in uh, a better shape than we have been in the past. And uh, hopefully that means that we're in the best possible position to win a finals game. And, and look, we have won finals games, but in the, but the most crucial finals game that we've, uh, that we've played, uh, the best chance that we are uh, to get that job done this week. And you and, and I, important, yeah. Sorry, sorry. John. I was going to say you and I are going to speak of that at length tomorrow, sixties. But while we have got Spiro here, I would love to grab his thoughts on the looming matchup between the Canberra Raiders because, I mean, 
there is a lot of history between these two clubs due to the, the coaches at the helm of the Raiders. They're very similar teams. We already mentioned that in terms of the way they're constructed, the way they play, so dynamic, so explosive. They can challenge the powerhouse teams in unconventional ways. How do you see Friday night playing out, Spiro? Because this is you can't understand how big this is, right? We talk about getting out of week two of the finals. We talk about, well, not we, but the media talk about Parramatta's windows closing, whether you subscribe to that or not. There is a lot at stake. There are players departing the club. There is history between the coaches and the clubs. There are similar teams in terms of play style. The, the Sort of the narratives almost write themselves, really. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's going to be a great clash. First time that the Parramatta Eels and the Canberra Raiders have actually played each other in a finals match, crazy. which is going to be interesting to see. And as you mentioned, so many great rivalries. Junior Bowler playing against his old club and all his old mates as well. Jamal Fogarty playing against Parramatta, the team that let him go, but the team that ultimately gave him his first chance. So there are a lot of great storylines heading into this clash. Where I see this one really being decided is the halves. Um, thankfully, Mitchell Moses named at seven. We, we need him there. He's an important part of our side. Dylan Brown as well had a bit of a shocker last week. And he'll need to really step up to the plate and play a really good game in front of the home crowd at Combank. So where it's won and lost is in the halves. Will Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses be able to step up and put in a great performance? Or will Jack Whiten and his uh, confidence that he was playing with last week and and the last few weeks um, outshine Parramatta's halves combination? It'll be very interesting. Another observation as well is that I feel that Canberra are probably going to be a bit more bruised and battered after last week. A couple of players carrying some niggly injuries. You've got Zach Wolford, the hooker. Mm. Looked like he had a bit of an injury, I think, to his arm yeah, or shoulder. Yeah, bicep, or, shoulder, or peck. Oh, it was hard to tell, but it yeah. didn't look good. And, and they got battered. They got battered a bit. No Adam Elliott, who's been an important part of their setup. Ryan Sutton hasn't played footy in a little while, making his return from injury. So when you look at the two lineups, you probably say Parramatta will come into this clash a bit more fresher than Canberra. We had that extra day in terms of turnaround as well. Um, but yeah, it, it comes down to the halves for me. I think both forward packs are going to match it. They're both going to be really even. You look at RCG and Junior Bowler, Josh Papali'i, Joe Tarpany. There's not much that separates those guys. Even the second row, that huge battle between Sean Lane and Hudson Young, mm. two guys that are in the frame for World Cup selection for Australia. You've got Isaiah Papali'i, Elliot Whitehead, and then Ryan Madison and Corey Hadawitanaita, who um, has had a, a brilliant year for the Raiders. He's a lovely guy. I've had a bit to do with him. Um, so yeah, had a win a nighter as well. And then in terms of the bench, it's, it's pretty even when you look at it. I mean, they've got a hooker there. We don't, uh, Jake Arthur may come on and, and replace Red Money and, and play a bit of hooker at some point, but it's going to be a, a great match. And, and I think this is, as you mentioned, such a huge chance for Parramatta because we need to go past week two of the finals. We must just to get everyone off our back. I was speaking to Christian Nicolucci from the Sydney Morning Herald earlier this week. And I said to him, I just want Parramatta to win this game just so that we can say we have progressed to a preliminary final under Brad Arthur and and just to prove a few of the doubters wrong and and really show that we are a quality team. We do have what it takes to make a grand final qualifier. So it's important. It's a a, a crucial game. We have a huge chance. Now, Ricky Stewart actually has the best finals record out of any coach in the NRL which is slightly concerning. He seems to get his team up for big games. And 
I mean, their attitude is that they've got nothing to lose because no one really expected Canberra to do anything when they made the top eight. So they have which, a lot less pressure which, on uh, them. Admittedly, that's a bit of a cop-out because it's everyone's on even footing right now. It's all sudden their football You're for right. every team moving forwards. But you know, as a coach, you do anything to get the psychological edge uh, for your team. And if the Raiders are buying into it, then more power to them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be... Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's a bit of a narrative. I think Ricky's sort of saying that just to <laughs> for the facade yeah. and, and just for, for um, I don't know, to save face a bit and, and not appear to be coming in. It is cocky it or arrogant. Be, it wouldn't be the first time you see a team coming in red hot from the bottom half of the eight. So mm. you know they're they're certainly going to come to this game, and maybe the the betting won't say they're the favourites or close to the favourites. But you know, in, in terms of the on field stuff, the Eels know they're going to have their hands full. Oh, absolutely. If if Parramatta come in in uh, being cocky in any way, shape or form, uh, there's going to be trouble for a start. But we uh, had an opportunity to speak to Tim Manor yesterday just to uh, get his thoughts on the game. And and he said, look, don't worry. The Parramatta players are, are going to be really pumped up for this game. They, they, it, forget about any, any times during the season where they weren't, there wasn't the intensity there. They'll be they'll be switched on, and uh, he was he was uh, fairly confident of how this game would play out. Uh, look, I thought it was interesting. You're talking about Jamal Fogarty. He is really a player who has ultimately been able to uh, achieve a higher level than I thought was going to be possible with him. Now you mentioned that he he got a uh, his. NRL squad start with the Parramatta Reels when he came down and joined the Eels a few years back and he was released within the same season. There was um, high hopes that he would develop as a player. He was almost like um, what would you say, he was a bit of a project mm-hmm. that the Eels were, were going to be working on. To He, he had, a, he had a, a reputation as having some talent playing in the Q Cup. Uh, Parramatta took the punt on him, brought him down uh, he started the preseason, got into the season proper, and he started off in the uh, New South Wales Cup level. And really, and, and, and got to be brutally honest with this, his form at New South Wales Cup level was absolutely nothing to write home about. We went and watched uh, quite a few matches, and there was nothing that when when Parramatta gave him a release to go back to Queensland. I don't know about you, Forty, but you know I wasn't thinking. Yeah, oh, when, when he played New South Wales Cup, it, it felt like he was a racehorse with the blinkers on at times. Like he just didn't have any lateral vision. And you know, to his credit, it, it's clear that he's gone out and whether he's worked on himself or he's felt at, more at home in the the environments that followed him at the Titans and now the Canberra Raiders, he's certainly elevated his game to become a very competent level NRL playmaker. Yeah, well, it, look, it took him a couple of years before he actually, after he left Parramatta, before he got that first game with the. Titans too. Like to be fair, he had, he went back to Q Cup, and it, it took a couple of years of slog in the Q Cup for him to get another chance. So it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't as if the Eels have had made a mistake, and uh, you know they've released a player who uh, immediately proved them wrong. Mm. He worked hard at at getting to that level, and it's now that he's got up to that level. He is a quality NRL halfback, and he is crucial to the Canberra Raiders. So, uh, yeah, interesting to to mention him because he's he he doesn't play that 
um, the Mitchell Moses role. He he really does play that that game manager role quite well for the Raiders. And uh, look, I think it's fair to say they did miss having someone in there that was a game manager, and it allows someone like Whiten to play more of a strike role. And a very Chad Townsend-like in his style. I like to think when I, I look at the way that Jamal Fogg plays. Yeah, that is, that is you a know, fair comparison. It's a fair a, comparison. Yeah. A veteran, you know, someone that's towards the back end of the career. Someone, you know, we're talking the Fogg's now 28, I think. So he's, he's towards the back end. But what he brings to that, that Canberra team, we've seen throughout the year, when he came back into the fold, the Raiders surged. That's when they made that big uh, run up to the top eight. There was concerns that he was going to be out for the whole year uh, with that ACL injury that he suffered in the preseason. But he made a miraculous recovery and he's been a, a huge part of what they've done. And like you said, he takes that pressure off Jack Whiten to allow him to play more free-flowing footy. So, yeah, really exciting. Um, we'll see what happens. A lot of great rivalries right across the park. And then you got in the coaches' box as well, Ricky Stewart and, and Brad Arthur. So I, I can't wait for this one. Yeah, and obviously that plays out on Friday night at Combank Stadium. Sixties and I will do the full preview tomorrow, but without a doubt, you know, what a massive game. And uh, I think that's pretty much all the news, except for one little bit of uh, positive stuff with the Parramatta Eels. We keep talking about him, and for good reason, boys. But Jermaine Hopgood, future Parramatta Eel next year, expected to be one of our you know low-key big recruits from a guy that hasn't played much NRL football, but he promises so much. He's taken out the uh, New South Wales Cup Player of the Year for the Penrith Panthers, and no surprise he's managed to catch him. He's been dominant at that level, regularly clearing 200 metres on the on the ground, a whole stack of tackles, plenty of try involvements, tackle breaks, offloads, all sorts of things. He's been sensational, and no surprise he picks up their major gong there. Yeah, it'll be um, it'll be cool to see him in the, the blue and gold next year, and I'm trying to work out. I was speaking to, to uh, you, 4020s, you know, a little bit earlier, um, about what his role within the team will be. Um, so yeah, I think that he's a, a huge buy, a huge asset and probably wasted talent in New South Wales Cup at Penrith, and too many good players in front of dare, him. Dare I say he's probably a player that features more prominently this year in their premiership push in first grade if he hadn't signed for the Parramatta Reels. He's too good for the yeah. New South Wales Cup. And he got some time towards the back end of the year playing a bit of first grade as well, a couple of games there mm-hmm. off the bench and I'm really keen to see what he, what he brings because he's represented Queensland at a junior level and... I feel, as as we spoke about earlier, forties that um, he may play that role that Murata Niakore is playing. Mm. Uh, you know, just that barnstorming forward, either coming off the bench or starting at thirteen, then allowing Maddo to come on and just play some footy off the back of that. Um, it, it'll be it'll be great. It'll be really really good to see in the blue and gold a, a huge recruit heading into um into yeah season twenty twenty three. And I think that just about wraps it up for another episode of the Tip Sheet, boys. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Paramount Reels in sudden death footy mode, all to play for, for a spot against the North Queensland Cowboys in a grand final qualifier next week. So it'll be a trip up the Townsville under the uh, NRL's regional stadium policy. Don't get me started about that. Uh, but yes, Eels got to get past the Raiders first, and it's going to be an absolute knock-em-down uh, blockbuster. Well, look, we'll... We'll talk again on a news podcast uh, regardless, oh, regardless of the result yeah. next we, week. We're going to need you and, to debrief Parramatta season one way or another, Spiro. So. Yeah. Um, so, well, we won't be debriefing the season. We'll be talking about a win and the upcoming game next week. But, um, you know, in, in either scenario, we will do a news podcast next week to, to, to look at the 
weekend's results and the weekend ahead and um and we i'm sure we will still be talking about uh Parramatta's fortunes uh up in north queensland next time yeah looking forward to this friday para fans soak it up enjoy it last game at combank stadium of the year so make sure you enjoy it get out there nice and early support the boys and let's ride them home and we'll catch go you, you eels yes go sir you. go you eels